Welcome back. We're in Revelation chapter 17, verse 2. Let's go. My apologies for being off a couple of days after the ice storm. Had an incredible amount of work to make up, so now we should be back to every day. So uh, thank you for bearing with me. Uh, we'll start reading from 17.1, but we'll start interpreting from 17.2. Remember, we've got the observation, interpretation, and application. It's the way to study the Bible. Observation is simply reading it, so we're going to go back and start reading verse 1. Then we're going to read verse 2, so that's our observation. Then we're going to interpret it. What does it mean? And then we're going to apply it. What does it mean to you? Or what does it mean to me? Or what can it mean in, in the current world that we live in? So we want to learn what God has to tell us and then actually apply it to our lives. Because if we just learn it to know it, something like you might do in college just to regurgitate it on a test to get a grade, then it's not going to be very useful and practical for you. If you learn it to actually go out and apply it, if you practice your golf swing because you're actually going to want to go out and become a better golfer, if you practice your baseball swing because you want to become a better baseball player, and you practice learning and studying God's Word and applying it to your life so that you can go out and be a better example of Christ. You can be a better little Christ, one who represents Christ better. And I have to do this constantly because I sin all the time, and I need God to convict me and show me what I've done wrong and sometimes it's apparent usually it's apparent within the first one second and I know that I need to repent of it and sometimes uh, I turn away from that sin immediately and sometimes it you know takes minutes or hours or days or weeks or whatever's going on at the time but just kind of think about that in our lives and and what the purpose of this conviction and repentance is and it's a wonderful thing it's a great way to show people around us who Christ is so we go back to verse one, uh, 17, 1. When one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So we've got an angel showing John the bowls. He's showing him the judgment of the great harlot. The great harlot is, let's call it, religious Babylon. So we're going to talk about religious Babylon and commercial Babylon. Just kind of think about Babylon being in opposition to God, whereas Jerusalem is the chosen city of God and Israel the chosen nation, and you've got Babylon who's uh, always against God. You've got Babylon, the Babylonians, who um, conquered the southern kingdom, of uh, with Jerusalem and Judah, and you've got the Tower of Babel, which is under Nimrod, and they confuse the languages, and which is why we refer to the term as Babel. And so, religious Babylon is this religion that's in opposition to Christ. And really, I would say a very simple statement, which is all religions are in contrast to Christ. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. It is a up-close and personal relationship that you have with God. The majority of religions, including Islam, do not believe that you can have a personal relationship with God. Every religion says you must earn your way to heaven, but not being a Christian. Being a Christian means you don't have to earn your way to heaven. It's not a deed. It's not a works. For by grace you are saved through faith. 
simply trusting in Jesus, that he died for your sins, that the ultimate substitution, the old switcheroo came to be, that you give him your sin and he gives you eternal life. It's really that simple. And that is what separates it from every other religion out there. It's the grace. And that's why it's not even a religion. It's a relationship. And yes, we do say that you can have an absolute up close and personal relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. I talk with him as though he's sitting next to me in my car, in my office, at my home, uh, all the time. Um, So here we've got religious Babylon. We've got this, essentially all world religions, which are opposed to Jesus. And then you've got collectively what we might call as a universal religion that will appear during the tribulation period, during the first half of the tribulation. And so it says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication... So the global leaders will support this false world religion. They will encourage it and they will benefit from it financially. So once the church is raptured, remember we talked about the church age, which is what we're in. It began with Pentecost. It will end with the rapture. And then you'll have the seven-year tribulation, the first half of the tribulation and the second half of the tribulation, each being three and a half years in length, the second half of the tribulation known as the Great Tribulation. So what I believe is in focus here is the first half of the tribulation. The church has been removed, raptured up into heaven. No one on earth at that moment believes in Jesus. Many will come to believe in Jesus. We'll see 144,000 who actually get sealed. We'll see others who come to Jesus and die because those are the tribulation saints. And we know that none of the 144,000 die. They all make it through the entire tribulation without dying. So there's others who come to Christ. I think it'll be the greatest revival And history of people coming to Jesus in that seven-year period will be amazing amount of people. But still, the vast, 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 vast majority will reject Christ. And so we've got this universal religion, which I believe pops up right at the beginning of the tribulation. I'm not saying day one or week one or month one, but somewhere towards the beginning, that first three and a half year period, we've got this universal religion, which everybody around the world supports and whatever that looks like. And so it says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. So kings think leaders of the world, uh, likely to be 10 kingdoms um, that are there in the first half of the tribulation, where instead of having, I don't know how many countries there are, but hundreds, you have 10. You have 10 major world powers at this time, and all the kings support this world religion because it benefits them Financially, I would say, is the, is the leading thing uh, because people just crave money and that won't change during the tribulation. It says, of the earth committed fornication. So think about this. Anything counter to God's truth is spiritual adultery. It's spiritual fornication. And then it says, and the inhabitants, inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So first it says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and it says the inhabitants of the earth so this is people in either including kings or other than kings but it's basically saying uh, you know pretty much everybody on earth um, other than those who come to Christ the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication so it's symbolic uh, of stating their allegiance that they're just they're not even thinking clearly right when someone drinks they're um discernment gets changed their wisdom their knowledge 
um, their decision making gets clouded. And so here these people are, their decisions are clouded. And they're just bowing down to this world religion and trusting that it's going to save them, that it's the way that they need to go. And they let their feelings direct their allegiance. They follow their feelings and their emotions rather than seeking and following the truth. And this is one of the most, this is true of most Americans today as well. And sadly, it's true of me at times. I let my emotions lead, not my allegiance, but me in that moment and and in that moment of sin or lack of clarity. And Jesus always convicts me. He's like, "Mm mm-mm. That's what you think. That's what you feel. But here's the truth. And we want to look to the truth of Jesus, with it, which is unbending, unchanging, and it is absolute. And one and one will always be two. It will never be three. And the truth of God will always be true, and it will not change. And for culture in America right now to say different things and to say, nope, you get to choose what sex you want to be, um, that's completely in contrast to the truth. It's 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 in contrast to an absolute, which is we were born male and female. It's just insane what's going on right now, but people will just, if they're guided by their feelings, they're going to go away from God and just kind of create their own religion, create their own God, which is themselves, because they want to say, I'm smart enough and wise enough to know what I want and I need and what I feel is absolutely correct. And what you feel is absolutely correct too, unless it disagrees with my feelings and then you're absolutely wrong. Um, So that's what they're trying to say, and it's sad. So verse 3, it says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads, and ten horns. So it says, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. We look at that word wilderness. In Genesis, there was an amazing and beautiful garden. But here in Revelation, what is it? It's a wilderness. So we went from garden to wilderness. How far we have come from purity and immorality to fornication and death. And the world is becoming wilderness it's not getting better and it's falling apart right and that's the result of sin sin brought upon death illness disease all that stuff and so the world is falling apart uh, for that reason because of sin and says so he carried me away in the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast so this is the harlot this is the one world religion the universal religion if you will and somehow they combine and they either, you know, all religions or the core, you know, pick a couple of core religions, I don't know, uh, whatever they are, and they're just kumbaya coexist, or there's literally the kind of bend and just say, no, there's one religion, this is what we're believing in. One of those two things is going to happen, but everybody's going to kind of be on that coexist plane, whether it's absolutely one belief system. Or it's just all believing, oh, all roads lead to, the, lead to the same place. You can believe whatever you want, and we're all good. Um, one of those two is, is in focus here. And both of those, regardless of how it turns out to be, both of those today and in the future are false and will remain to be false. Uh, all roads cannot lead to the same path. Just think about it logically. If the Muslim is correct and... 
you have to get there through their laws, through their ways, through their uh, views of obedience or becoming a martyr in order to get to paradise, um, then how could a Mormon's view be right? Because they're in contrast to each other. How could a Catholic's view of earning your way and repenting before a priest be in conjunction? How does that work in conjunction with Islam or Buddhism, which require meditation or Buddhism requires meditation and focuses on the word of suffering and you've got this folded path to get there. They're, they're in complete contrast to each other and Christianity is different than each of those. So the, the coexist doesn't even make sense. It's, it's one of the most insane concepts I've heard in my lifetime, which is that all paths lead to the same place. It's absolutely impossible. Only one of those paths can be correct by definition by logic um it says so and i saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast the world religion and the antichrist coexist and feed off of each other until the antichrist rises up mid-tribulation and puts an end to the world religion so that the world will instead worship him literally so you've got the first half of the tribulation which what i believe is going on is you've got this universal religion either kind of living in harmony or literally one world religion. And the Antichrist is either fostering this or encouraging it or just going along with it. But he's not stopping it. And it's just kind of going on around him. And he's feeding off of it too because it's helping him rise to power too. Because if no one's fighting over religion, then they're going to look to have some kind of savior come out of it. And they're going to look to this Antichrist and be like, oh, look at this peacekeeper. And he made a peace... Uh, agreement with Israel and we don't have those issues with Israel anymore and everybody's all kumbaya and good and so he's starting to get a lot of focus and people are really learning to put their trust in him but then he's going to put an end to the world religion mid-tribulation and say nope you're not going to worship that you're going to worship me and that's exactly what he is going to say uh, because just like the reason he got kicked out of heaven he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be a light God. Well, here in mid-tribulation, when he is working through the Antichrist, the, he wants to be worshipped. And he wants that worship alone with no one else. Um, and Jesus does it. Jesus does it in a loving way. He says, I want you to love me, and I want all of your love and all of your attention and all of your heart. And I want you to go out and I want you to love others. I want you to share with your neighbor. I want you to forgive your neighbor. Whereas Satan's the father of lies. He wants all the attention, but he wants to lie to you. He wants you to lie to others. He wants you to hate. He wants you to have unforgiveness. He wants you to believe that you can be your own God and you can make up your own rules, completely in contrast to the relationship that Christ wants for you. So tomorrow we're going to pick up here in verse 4. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Help you. Help us to love you more today. Help us to understand you more. Help us to know that you gave us the Bible to read to study, to reread, to restudy, because we could study it every day the rest of our life and we will still learn things. And it is the only book in the world, Lord, that reads back. It reads us. And thank you for that. And you show us things about ourselves as we read that. Help us all to read more, to pray more. And then to, as we are changed with that truth, with these absolutes of, of you, Lord, as we are changed with that, would you help us to go and be bold 
and how we talk to people and how we show people who you are and to be honest and open and forgiving and to ask people to forgive us and just to make ourselves vulnerable, Lord, for this world to see the love of Christ because it is about demonstrating you and that means we're going to be humbled. We need to serve. Help us to all do better jobs at this, starting at home and with our businesses, with our neighborhoods, and even with those who have diametric opposition to our beliefs. Help us to love on them. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Daily Verse by Verse. We want you to be prepared in season and out of season to study the whole counsel of God so that you can share with people who Jesus is through your actions so that you have the right to tell them who Jesus is so that they can come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus better. We strongly encourage you to share this message, this podcast on your social media, Facebook, Instagram, message, email someone who you think could benefit from it. It's an easy way for you to go out and witness to the world just by sharing this podcast. We hope you'll join us tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.